Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Cato. Very pleased to be joining you along in this midweek of the end of November after a very intense triple header of races as we are down to the final two Grand Prix of the season. And to help break down today what we're going to be talking about, the 2021 Qatar Grand Prix and also the championship outlook, I'm very pleased to be joined by the full crew tonight of Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty as well. The Backmarkers F1 show complete and together once again. So really happy to have you guys along just before I introduce them and get their thoughts on the race. A quick reminder, our podcast is sponsored by the gpbox.com, the world's leading motorsport marketplace website. As we've always said before, guys, you can check out their website. It's linked up in the description below and you can see that they've got some really cool F1 memorabilia, used car parts, different types of team merchandise, and really just a little bit of everything for the F1 and motorsport lover in your life. I know Christmas is coming up, so you guys are going to be looking for some gift ideas. So if you head down below into the description of the video and also the podcast player, you will find some exclusive discount codes for Backmarkers F1 Show podcast subscribers, and you can take advantage of those discount codes below. So head to the gpbox.com and also the description down below for some exclusive merchandise deals from our friends at the GP Box. So thank you very much to them. All right, so we are recording this a little bit later, again, as usual, midweek here on this Wednesday. So I'm going to bring in my two fellow co-hosts, Tyler McDonald. Let's start with you. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, nice to come back. Uh, the first of the three uh, Middle East Grand Prix uh, to wrap up the season. And I was very happy with Qatar. I love that circuit. Um, it provided a lot more overtaking, a lot more action than I thought it would. Um, and I think I underestimated its potential ability for some great racing. So I was pleasantly surprised by the race and, and the track. And I hope that um, maybe we go there in the future, not the uh, downtown Doha Grand Prix street circuit we're going to see again. So we'll see uh, what happens, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised and happy with the race. Well, I'm glad to hear it and stick around, guys, because we are going to be talking about whether we should see this track again on the calendar and also just our thoughts on what this circuit was like in F1's debut in Qatar. But that will come a little bit later. Shaker, welcome back to the podcast as well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And same thoughts as Tyler as well. It was a way more interesting track than I expected it to be uh, wider. Uh, like throughout the corners that I was expecting for the for that overtaking to happen, and um, I wasn't expecting as many uh, of the tires to be, blow as track <laughs> as uh, as there was. So yeah, it was a very interesting race, and yeah, glad to be back. And it's nice to be back in my room. I've been out of <laughs> like a week and a half, so it's been weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice that everything is sort of back uh, back to normal and, and we're ready to go for this podcast. So we're going to jump into it right away and talk about the 2021 Qatar Grand Prix. And yeah, I would echo the same thoughts from the both of you. I was pleasantly surprised from the Lozale circuit on many different aspects and we got to see more overtaking than we thought we would. And I think overall, we just got to see a pretty interesting race, not the most exciting race, not probably in the top five of the 2021 season. But I think it just provided an interesting chapter to this championship fight. But we're going to get into the track a little bit later. But let's start with, of course, the race winner and the championship picture. So Lewis Hamilton dominating the Qatar Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton, he has a knack for winning at brand new tracks. I mean, he did it at Portimao. Uh, did it at Nürburgring last year, did it here now this year. So he's got a knack for these new circuits. But really, ever since Saturday, he was just absolutely on the pace. And watching his qualifying lap was just pretty spectacular. He was going flat through some of those corners in Sector 3. So the Mercedes was really working really well. But this was a classic Lewis Hamilton race in which we haven't seen very much of in 2021. He just qualifies really well and then just 
basically sprints out in front and never to be seen again. So, Tyler, what did you think of Hamilton's drive in Qatar? But also, what are your expectations, or excuse me, what were your expectations heading into this weekend? And did kind of Mercedes live up to it? We talked about this a little bit last week in terms of were they going to be as quick as we saw in Brazil? So what are your overall thoughts about Hamilton's 102nd victory? Well, I thought it was really impressive, but I think a big part may have that could have been played was the Max Verstappen penalty as well. The five place grid penalty, I think really impacted how this race could have came out because, uh, you know, if Max, we saw how well uh, Pierre Gasly and Fernando Alonso uh, got off the line and challenged Lewis Hamilton going into turn one, uh, then they got in the way of each other, of course. But, um, you know, if that was Max Verstappen, it could have been completely different. We could have had another uh, crazy Hamilton Verstappen turn one incident as well. So I think that five place grid penalty really played a factor in this race. And it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if uh, Max would have started on the front row, like he should have. Um, but of course with those uh, interesting yellow flag situation at the end of qualifying with Pierre Gasly blowing a tire and kind of stopping on the main straight, hindering a lot of people's laps. Um, we had a mixed up grid, uh, unfortunately for Max and unfortunately for us, because that means we got to see Fernando Alonso uh, pull out a classic Fernando Alonso race as well in pure great uh, car and tire management, uh, which was awesome to see. But uh, going back to the Mercedes, I, I don't think I was expecting Hamilton to be that dominant this weekend. Um, but my God, was it an unbelievable performance by Lewis and um, it was really impressive to see. He was just in control the whole race, uh, the whole weekend, really. And it didn't seem like for a second um, that he was going to give up that race win. Once he blew that, that qualifying lap uh, in the 20s, the minute 20s, I was like, okay, this weekend's over. Unless something crazy happens in turn one, he's going to have this race won just because of how well he performed. And uh, it's just a, a phenomenal race from Lewis. And if that continues into Saudi Arabia and uh and in Abu Dhabi, it's going to be a wild finish because if Lewis Hamilton, I'm sure people know this by now, but if Lewis Hamilton wins the race and gets fastest lap and Max Verstappen finishes second, they go into Abu Dhabi tied on points, which is going to be insane. And it's very plausible that that situation happens. Yeah, it's uh, it was you know very exciting to see. It was actually just a perfect storyline for kind of what I wanted to happen at the end of this season um, for, for Lewis and Max to fight it out at the end. Um, a kind of an underwhelming performance for me and to, for both uh, Mercedes and Red Bull, uh, uh, you know, you know, take away Lewis Hamilton's performance. He, he was fantastic. But in terms of Mercedes's team, I was expecting more of a uh, team fight for Mercedes for those constructors point. Cause now, uh, you know, Red Bull's brought it so close that, uh, you know, it's who knows what might happen at the end of the season. Uh, but yeah, I was uh, ex- expecting a little bit more for Mercedes from, you know, Valtteri in the end, but I, I don't think you can take away from, uh, it wasn't his fault uh, that the tire blew. It's just a track on a track at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, in terms of Red Bull, I just, uh, you know, from Sergio's mid-season performance, I feel like he's like fallen off a little bit, um, expected a little bit more from him, um, for, again, for those constructors points, um, I feel like Red Bull really needed them. Um, I mean, he didn't have a bad performance again, same thing with Valtteri, um, Uh, but yeah, I just uh, I was expecting a little bit more for, uh, more of a push from Red Bull in the end, and I. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Tyler, if uh, those <laughs> grid penalties had come to play, we could have seen a little bit more. 
Well, it's almost good that we get we didn't see the crashes or any kind of incidents happen because even now, still on the videos that we did after the Brazil Grand Prix, the comments are still flowing in and everybody's still <laughs> arguing with each other. So it's a little bit over the top and and absurd, some of the comments, let's be honest. But we're, we've already been past that. But just getting to what the big story this weekend was, is there was still a lot of in-team fighting that was going on off track between Mercedes and Red Bull, the rear wing, the engine and everything. And we have a couple of fan questions that were sent in on uh, the community tab of our YouTube channel, which we'll get to a little bit later. But we're kind of going to address some of it now, which is is the fact that Mercedes were running the Turkish Grand Prix engine in Lewis Hamilton's car in this race because Qatar, not necessarily a, a really power-sensitive circuit, only that one long DRS straight down the main straight. But the thing about this circuit, and I was watching this on Driver 61's channel, Scott Mansell, who did actually what I thought was a very good breakdown of what is this whole rear wing and engine kind of controversy about since the Brazil Grand Prix and really Tyler when we were doing the podcast last week we you know we were just asking the questions we were not alleging that Mercedes were doing anything illegal we were just surprised to see the gap as big as it was because in driver 61's video he also kind of shows real numbers and the numbers are that Mercedes have gained a significant advantage since the Brazil Grand Prix now from everything that I've researched and looked at, they're not. I don't think they're doing anything illegal. I think Mercedes, and we've seen this in the last couple of years, is that they've just out-innovated Red Bull. They've outsmarted them. They've outwitted them. They've found a loophole somewhere in the regulations that allows them to do this trick with the rear wing and then stalling the rear diffuser. And now, with the powerful engine, they've got the whole package together. And we saw it here in Qatar. And there's another good point to bring up that when you look at Brazil, Qatar, this next track in Saudi Arabia, it is a front-limited circuit, meaning the front tires have to work a lot harder. And think back to the last few races. Max Verstappen has been complaining a lot about understeer. Turkish Grand Prix, that was a big hindrance for them. Even early free practice in Austin, Texas was a big problem for them. And it was a problem in Brazil, and it was a problem here as well. So it seems to suit the Mercedes car a lot better this year with the high rake, low rake philosophy, which we've talked about many times on this podcast. But on the looks of it now, the new technical directive was brought in at this Grand Prix. Some stiffer rear wing test for the Mercedes. They passed it, though. Now, it was only a trial, so it's not necessarily brought in in terms of a sporting test. So even if Mercedes would have failed it, let's say, they would have faced no penalties because this was a trial from the FIA. But this all looks like it's going to be clean for Mercedes. So the one thing that I was worried about, I was thinking in a couple of days, and Tyler, just curious to know your thoughts, is what if Red Bull is putting just a little bit too much focus on the illegality of the Mercedes and not enough focus on themselves to give Max the competitive car all the way to the end? I mean, who was it, Mark Webber or Sebastian Vettel, who said a few months ago that Red Bull have to make sure that Verstappen has the car until all the way until the end of the season? It looks like either of those guys were right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, of course, there is a lot of focus on next year because we have a whole new car coming next year as well. So having to uh, try and, um, you know, split up your, your development mark or your development makers your, to research and develop this season's car to a certain extent, but to also focus on next season is, is definitely a challenge internally for both these teams uh, with the championship so close and having to balance uh, where you spend your budget, of course, with the cost cap coming in as well. So I think there's a lot of factors for both teams, and Mercedes clearly want to sweep in this uh, this era of of Formula One. Um, I'm not sure how much that hinders them next season. Well, I'm sure it won't hinder them much with how crafty those you know they are over there. Um, but it's just a, an interesting scenario uh, for for both teams to be in, and I think it's going to be really interesting in Saudi Arabia with uh, the understeer that Max has been. 
uh, facing and how this circuit is with, you know, how high speed and flowing it is. Definitely don't want to be understeery there. Uh, I don't want to be oversteery there either. That sounds like very <laughs> scary. A lot of poop, poop moments uh, would be happening if I was a driver. Um, but it, it's going to be really interesting how these last two races go and uh, whether or not Red Bull kind of give a little counter or, or find a little trick in the Mercedes uh, way to be able to um, come back and get some more pace themselves to seal off this uh, driver's championship for Max. Yeah, sorry, and I don't know, Shaker, if you had uh, anything more to add, but I just wanted to jump in there to talk just a little bit about that Saudi circuit. I think we might be planning a, a special kind of one-off podcast just for that track <laughs> because it interests us so much. But I've been driving it a lot over the weekend and I've done a lot of laps now. And I must say I do like it a little bit more now than since the last time we spoke uh, on the well, previous yeah, podcast. You're, you have a finished product on the game where the race, the actual racetrack isn't finished yet. So <laughs> It is better, though. It, I've it seen recent pictures. It looks a lot better, which is good. But... <laughs> Uh, I know it's a little bit dicey since we're a couple of weeks away, but the thing about that track is that, yeah, like you mentioned, Tyler, it's very front limited. So you're barely touching the brakes, the rear, or excuse me, the front tires are taking a lot of the pounding, a lot of the loads. But the other thing about that track too, is that it's incredibly smooth. Now, I don't know if the game is as simulated directly as with real life, but if any, if it's anything like it is in the game, it's a very, very smooth track surface. And I think that that suits Mercedes just judging from what the track characteristics look like now. On pure pace, I don't think Red Bull really stand a chance at that track. And I would say that Verstappen and Red Bull have to be very careful that Valtteri Bottas doesn't get involved in the top two because I think this is a Bottas-style track. Very flat, front-limited, street circuit, kind of looks like Russia a little bit mixed in with back Exactly, Baku, which he's done well at. So I think this is a strength of Valtteri. So Red Bull have to be really careful because... It's hard to overtake in Jetta, but what I noticed was that the slipstream is incredibly powerful. The back straight and the start-finish straight, especially the slipstream, is very, very powerful. So on pure pace alone, I don't think Red Bull and Verstappen have a chance. The only big X factor is with it being a new circuit, and we saw this week, like Shaker mentioned in, in the beginning, with the tire failures, this track is even more load on those front tires and also safety cars and everything. So... That's the only X factor. Pure pace alone, I don't think Red Bull really have a chance. I think it's going to come down to Abu Dhabi, which championship-wise, as neutral F1 fans, to me is the best scenario. If they're tied on points or if it's only a one-point scenario, that's just going to be so crazy. We could see at the end the fastest lap being the, the championship deciding point, which is insane. We never would have thought that yeah. at the beginning of the season. Um, but going back to Saudi Arabia, I mean, um, we talk about the tires. I wasn't expecting tires to blow in Qatar and the fact that they brought the hardest set of tires and, you know, we're going to see a, a more higher downforce track in Saudi Arabia. This could be a three-stop race. Uh, I think, <laughs> Who knows? I honestly think so. It, it could be with, with the amount of where these fronts are going to, if you're being conservative enough to not want to blow a tire and there's no room, there's no runoff area. Like there is a Qatar you're going straight into a wall at a very high speed as well. Um, so I think that's it's something the teams are going to have to really work towards this weekend and be careful. It's going to be, you know, practices are going to be uh, very crucial to see what the tire wear is for these practice sessions. Um, and uh, it's going to be an unknown. Is it going to end up like Portimao where, you know, there's no rubber on the track and there's no grip on the track either. And it's just going to be really understeery for everyone. Um, there's so many questions that will have to be answered. And like we said, we'll get into this, uh, maybe during our, uh, Saudi Arabian preview, uh, podcast. Um, but it's going to be a wild finish this season. It, it's like I said, 
last week were one crash DNF away from this championship being over on either side. Um, and with, you know, any, everything, these next two tracks, I think that anything's possible. Yeah. I was actually going to mention that, uh, the whole fact that it's a brand new track and there's no real cars that I've driven through it. No, like laid down rubber might play huge, um, might play a disadvantage to Mercedes and not be able to be able to go full out around those corners. Uh, being have, having to be a little bit more careful as well. So there's that factor too. It's good. No, point. You're, yeah, keep in mind the track surface, right? I mean, it's it's even greener than Qatar. You know, Qatar is yeah. a very abrasive circuit, but the motorcycles race there and and a little other series as well. Qatar is is completely new. It's a brand new surface. So yeah, uh, great point there, Shaker, because we don't know how that surface is going to interact with the tires. And who knows, maybe Mercedes can't get the tires in the right window and then the, the rear suspension, rear wing thing won't work as well. Or, for example, in Austin, the reason why Red Bull were a little bit quicker there was because it was a very bumpy surface and they couldn't, they had to stiffen up the rear suspension. Here, if it's very smooth, they're not going to have to do that. So, I mean, so many different factors. And, and we're going to save Saudi Arabia, like you said, Tyler, because yeah. it, this, the track still very much interests me. So that's going to be a great race to watch. But excellent drive from Lewis Hamilton, and, and he's really finding his form in these last couple of races, which is great for the championship because it, it's going to mean that it might come down to the final race of the season. I'm interested to see if we get down to Abu Dhabi and... Um one of the drivers is winning the driver's championship, but the team is winning the constructor's championship. What sort of um, breakdown we see of oh. team, team, it's going to be interesting because they're both coming right down the wire. And that was big too, because Shaker, you're talking about the Perez and, and Bottas races here in yeah. Qatar and Bottas's DNF was huge. And I know that yeah. Perez didn't get the podium. It's a two point difference between if you would have got the podium and not, or I think it was around there. I might be mistaken with my math. But at the any rate, they cut it down to five points. Three whereas, points. Or th is it three points now? Yeah, yeah, three points. Oh, really? Okay, excuse me then. My mistake. So it's down to three points now. Oh, and sorry. I, I thought you were talking about the gap between Alonso and Perez in third and fourth. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah, the constructors sorry. between Red Bull and Mercedes. Yeah, I, I believe five, it is five points, right? Five, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's five, five points. My now. apologies. No problem. Yeah, so five points. That's a big difference because after Brazil, it was looking like, oh, it looks like Mercedes might end up stealing both championships. But... That's another big factor as well, right? Because now they've closed the gap in the Constructors' Championship as well. So we still could get that 2007 or 08 scenario where one team wins the drivers and the other team wins the Constructors. So very, very interesting times ahead for Formula One. But this is great. I don't know if uh, F1 fans will be able to take the stress of the final race of the season if it comes down to the showdown in Abu Dhabi, but I can't wait. So uh, it's going to get here sooner rather than later, which is going to be good. But let's move on just to, to Verstappen a little bit. We already touched on his race, and it was very difficult for him to start on Sunday with that five-place grip penalty, but it was a pretty slam-dunk case, I think, even though Red Bull had some arguments about the yellow flags, about there was a lot of confusion between the Marshall Post and the FIA and the driver dashboards and things like that. But something like that is a pretty cut-and-dry penalty, so it was no surprise that he got it there. But man, I mean, he really set his race up on lap one with just a fantastic lap one moves, and, and I think we just have it here. I'm going to share the screen with you guys here, just because it's worth taking a look at to start, and because also it's going to be involved with the driver we're talking about next, which is Fernando Alonso. But Starting on the medium tire here on the clean side of the grid in seventh, and he really just got an excellent first phase of the launch, and away he went down into turn one. 
Yeah, it was really impressive. And it, the inside really opened up for him too, Chris. I mean, um, he couldn't have got more fortunate on the inside. And I really liked how aggressive Alonzo was there because that... C- come on, Tyler. Been... He should have gotten a penalty, Alonzo. Oh, that's that's know, dirty I, yeah. driving. <laughs> well, it worked out great for Alonzo. Look, he got off the second with that move. Yeah, I'm kidding, um, by the way. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but no, really smart move from Max. And I thought that it um, really helps his race, obviously, to, to jump those three positions right off the gap and uh, not being held back really uh, through the first five or so laps during the race. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, I, I heard that it was played during, oops, sorry about that. I heard that it was played during the broadcast, but I didn't catch the context of it. And this is just so surprising to me because I had such a good laugh. You know, we're talking about this intensity between the championship. Max Verstappen's lead is coming down race by race. Can he hold on? Is he going to win? Mercedes is putting massive pressure on Verstappen and Red Bull. And here's this 24-year-old guy just having the jokes and the time of his life in the middle of the race. Cancel lift off this lap, please. Cancel any lift off this lap. Just trying to wait up the front right this lap, that's all. I think this was like lap 50 something, I can't remember. Oh, lap 27, there you go. Good evening! <laughs> I don't know why, it's just like the, the, the tone just kills me every time. It's so funny. Even, well, that's hilarious. Even after the race, though, he was like, well, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. It's like, he's just, he's just really enjoying racing right now like it's it's not too intense he's just loving obviously he wants to win but he's loving being an f1 driver and fighting for a championship and is having fun with it i think that's uh that's really important to see and awesome to see i i love seeing that side of max come out especially with a championship this tight yeah and i i think the fact that he you know he's brought it so close uh you know this year and that he's been fighting uh fighting against mercedes for so long Kind of, you know, it's kind of brought that uh, intensity slash, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, I can't find the word because I'm fucking tired. (laughs) 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 Uh, The bravado, I don't know. Yeah, you know. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. um, uh, But yeah, you know, five races ago, we saw that, you know, Lewis Hamilton and... uh, 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 Max Verstappen incident and you know we had both sides freaking out and you know last race we had that incident where you know he was driven off track and we saw nothing you know heard nothing really a thing heard anything about it so it's it's kind of nice to see these last four or five races they're not worried about the the media part of it they're just worried about the hard racing aspect of it you know oh 100 percent, and that's nice to see from both drivers is they really haven't been sucked into all the crap you see on social media and the media as well. You know, you, you tend that Max gets a lot of these sort of baited questions from the media that he doesn't really fall for it. And I think that's probably why a lot of the media and social media don't like him is because he doesn't want to fit into the boxes that people try and put him in. And he's just like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm having fun. Like, that was a fun race. The fact that it's going to come down to the last race, that makes it even more exciting. And he's like, if I don't win the world championship, it's not going to change my life. So I just think he's driving at the point where he knows how good he is and he knows that he could win as long as he has the car on any given day. So that's just what makes him even more relaxed where he's just like, I just have to go out and do what I do, which is drive really fast and, you know, try and challenge the best drivers in the world. And the rest of it, I can't control. So that's that's been the most surprising thing for me on his side this season is just how calm and relaxed he's been. 
beat the heat, stay hydrated, right? And uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it, it's true though. It's I mean, it's it's just nice to see him not get sucked in. And I love the side of Max where it's it, he's you know almost kind of bringing. Um, not a joke side to it, but just a more relaxed feel to racing and, and not being so uptight. And it all comes with, yeah, it's going to sound a little bad, but ego, right? You have to have the right amount of ego to be confident in yourself. And if you're a race car driver, you got to be confident throwing the car into those corners, right? And I think he has that right amount of confidence um, to believe in himself that he can win no matter what and not be stressed or, or worried or anxious about it. Yeah, 100% agree. And uh, yeah, so a solid race from his side in, in Lozale. And it would have been interesting maybe to see, I know he picked up a little bit of front wing damage after those first couple of laps, but even if he wouldn't have done that, I don't think he would have been able to catch Lewis. But excuse me, I think maybe, I'm not sure how much that, that really hurt him in the end, but it would have been interesting to see maybe if he could have gotten close enough to where the pit stop strategies could have come into play. But the only takeaway I had was just how incredibly quick both Hamilton and Verstappen are. I mean, yeah. the, be the, the beating that they put on the rest of the field was absolutely insane. I mean, it was so, so impressive and just goes to show that they're really in another stratosphere of driving ability. So, yeah, just just so enjoyable to watch from from both their sides. So, yep, down to uh, eight point lead for Verstappen. The fastest lap was, of course, very important. But we move on then to Saudi Arabia and we'll we'll continue the conversations there but we'll leave the championship fight there for now and talk about some other drivers and third place our man fernando alonso at 40 years old is back on the podium the last time fernando was on the podium lewis hamilton only had one world championship and now here we are seven years later but man what a race from alonso and like you said tyler at the top i was so you know, even though Max had the penalty and we didn't get to see Hamilton versus Verstappen, I was glad though because I'm like, man, you know, either Gasly or Alonso could sneak in a podium here. And then Perez made the charge way up the field. It seems like Red Bull were going to get the two, three, and then they bring him in for the pit stop. And I'm like, oh man, this this is Alonso's right here. And I thought he had just an absolutely brilliant drive. The way he managed the tires, the one stop was perfect. And Tyler, we're going to get into it. We're, we'll look at his lap one a little bit later. But what do you guys think just seeing the 40-year-old really mixing it up with the two best right now? Yeah, I, I thought it was phenomenal. And uh, you mentioned the stat about Lewis. He, um, Fernando Alonso has never been on a podium since Max Verstappen has been in F1. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which is wild. Um, so that's another interesting thing that they said on the broadcast. But I loved it. I was I was I wasn't nervous about the race. I was nervous about Fernando. I really wanted him to get that podium. I was like just cheering for him, willing him on because um, I just, I wanted to see him back on that podium. And um, I want to give a quick shout out to Esteban Ocon, who did as good as a job as I think he could have done with Sergio Perez just on new retires railing behind him. Um, came back really nice to fight along the outside and hold him up. I, I'd say he probably got a second uh, or, or maybe a second and a half off of Sergio, which played a huge factor at the end of the race because Fernando only, I think, uh, beat Sergio by two seconds or so. So Yeah, um, just sorry to cut you off yeah. there, Tyler. Red Bull said it was up to three seconds that Ocon cost Perez there. Wow. So yeah. th there's your position almost, right? It, you know, it would have been right down to the last second. Um so, that, I mean, that's huge from Esteban. It's good payback from what Fernando did with Esteban to now Esteban paying uh, Fernando back. And I love the team atmosphere at Alpine. They've really come together, especially, uh, you know, w with this race. It really seemed like it was just an awesome team effort all the way. So, congrats to Fernando. Congrats to Alpine. And uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch them next season when uh, hopefully they have a car 
that will fight a little bit further up in the grade because that's what Fernando believes that they will have. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, Tyler, my thoughts exactly. I was going to say, mm. you know, paid, Fernando paid, uh, uh, sorry, Ocon paid him back for uh, getting him in that podium uh, in the in the Grand Prix a, f- a few Grand Prix ago. And just like his comment, you know, tell Ocon to fight like a lion, you know, and just <laughs> <laughs> get him that podium because uh, he's been wanting it for so long. And I, I just, I think his qualifying comments as well, you know, thank you guys for this car this mm. weekend. It just feels so good. You know, I, I think we can do something special tomorrow. So, you know, it was really nice to see them, you know, have that, you know, like you said, that team feeling all weekend and almost like all year, uh, completely different Fernando from what we saw from McLaren, you know? Mm. So You're right. He seems way happier uh, with Alpine than he does in McLaren. I don't know if that's just a frustration thing that happened with McLaren or maybe a different point of coming into the sport uh, for that Fernando's taking taken now that he's a little bit older. Um, but it, it's just phenomenal to see the side of Fernando. This is the, the fun side and the side that we love to see. Um, and him and Esteban are gelling really well together, which is awesome as well. You're really right, though, guys, because the team atmosphere at Alpine is amongst the best on the F1 grid, really, with how they've performed this season. And yeah, I've noticed, I don't know if it's a, a dedicated change from Alonso. Like you said, Tyler, it might just be the age thing, you know, another chance in Formula One. But he just seems like taking a lot more of a team approach. Not that he did before, but I think before maybe it would have been always about Fernando, Fernando, Fernando. But now it's maybe investing a little bit more on building the team and the chemistry and supporting Esteban being the young driver. Remember preseason, we were talking about, oh, Alonso was going to destroy Esteban. and But it really hasn't happened that way, right? I mean, they've kind of both helped each other. And we saw it in this race as well like you know Fernando saying Esteban defend like a lion and and you know Ocon just really doing a great job with Perez so I there were some interesting comments from Alan Prost who's obviously an advisor now for Alpine or Alpine slash Renault and he was saying that Fernando is the best driver on the grid in terms of race management and things like that and honestly he could be right I think he's up there with Hamilton and, and Verstappen as the best drivers right now on the grid and, and his race really showed it because I wanted to show you guys the start I'm sure most of you saw it uh, as F1 released the onboards here but really this is where the experience comes in of a two-time world champion I thought that his race start was so brilliant not just this part right here going to turn one but this is where the Alonso brilliance really comes to mind here just backing out slightly and the way he goes attack on attack against Gasly here on the exit of three is impressive look at him just shoot right up on the outside of Gasly track limits in mind keeps it inbound just a beautiful move yeah I mean, he sorry sorry Tyler I was just gonna no, say no no go ahead he, he, I think this year, him, he, is it him or Vettel that have the most overtakes this year in Formula One? Yeah, I think it's, it's Alonso now. Yeah. yeah, it's Alonso now for sure. So, I mean, like like you said, he's just, it's that, it's that, that seniority, you know, he's, he's got that mind <laughs> to know exactly when to go uh, and when to hold back. And we've seen it all season. It's not just this race. I think he even surprised Gasly to be on the outside. You see, Gasly had to like kind of flick the steering wheel a little bit to the left he was like oh man i couldn't believe he made the move on the outside i couldn't <laughs> yeah. believe Fernando was making that move either um but it was really awesome to see i i thought it was a, a bold move and it's a key part in this championship as well for alpine versus alpha towery because now the gap is 25 points in favor of alpine with that three five finish that's a big gap uh, going into two races left uh, for these two fighting out for fifth position in the championship so um massive result for alpine and, uh, you know, who knows if they have a, a, 
a race winnable car. Obviously, they technically they do this year, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next season, I mean, I would love to see Fernando Alonso race winner one more time, if not multiple times in 2022. And who knows what's going to happen next year? It could go uh, could go any way with the new car. That would be the dream, right? Seeing that podium in Qatar, but multiple times next year for race victories too. I mean, imagine Alonso mixing it up with the Verstappen and Hamilton level that we're seeing now. I mean, that would be a dream. So that's fingers crossed for next season, but it's good for Alpine building it towards next season as well, because obviously these teams in the midfield can put a lot more focus on 2022 versus the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull. But you're right, Tyler, that Constructors' Championship battle, that was huge because especially with Gasly's form qualifying fourth, starting in second, it was huge for them to get P3 and P5 as well. Ocon had a fantastic race himself too. So that was disappointing from Alpha Tauri's where they just dropped off the pace eventually. But yeah, that lap one was perfect. And I just loved in turn three how he kind of gave Verstappen the shove, you know, prote- uh, protected his position, and then also just really mugged Pierre Gasly on the outside of turn three. So yeah, excellent to see Alonso back. And, and I really, really like this new Alonso and his approach to Formula One now. So I'm, I'm excited for, for 2022 and what he can do. But it's just great to see the Alpine atmosphere at the Qatar race as well, just how happy they were. And, and Alonso deserved it. He had a few chances this year, but I'm super glad that, that he got his podium. So, yeah, well done to to Fernando Alonso. Now, just moving on, another driver who, in addition to Fernando Alonso, of course, he got driver of the day. But I would throw Lance Stroll in the name for driver of the day as well. I mean, a P6 kind of really went quiet we, quietly in that race, but... Aston Martin's been having a really rough go lately. Lance Stroll as well this season, just kind of overdriving the car, has led to some crashes, some bad luck going his way. But this race to finish in sixth was just beautifully executed by Lance. Braddy Boy was on it as well. I don't know if you heard that team radio, but that was a hilarious team radio from Lance after the race, uh, calling out his engineer for being on top of the race management uh, this weekend. Uh, But no, I mean... You take a look, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere in seventh place right now in the Constructors' Championship, can't touch anyone. Um, so it looks like they won't be staying there. And that's disappointing from them because, you know, of course, last year they had uh, the really, uh, you know, Mercedes 2.0, as people would say, uh, car that they had going on. But, uh, you know, for them, I know they wanted to be a lot higher in the grid this season. Um, but uh, like you said, an awesome race from Lance to 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 conserve those tires and and manage his his tires to do a one stop to finish six i thought was really well done a mature drive from lance um who like you said had been overdriving the car but in this case he managed the race perfectly um which is something that i think the team needs uh, confidence wise going in to these last few races of the season and to then to develop into 2022 and you know sebastian vettel is a key part in that team as well um to bring that kind of veteran presence. Uh, and I think it's a great fit that those two have together. Um, just hopefully that they kind of have the luck on their side. They really have had a lot of bad luck this year. Uh, Aston Martin, unfortunately. And, um, you know, that always sucks for team morale, but you know, races like this are show what potential that the, the team has underneath them. Yeah. Bad luck is absolutely right, Tyler, because as soon as I started to see tire blows on this blow, blow on this track, I thought it was going to be Vettel. Like, I thought, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, one of the cars is definitely going to be Vettel, and that's going to be the end of his race. Uh, and I was really happy for uh, uh, him as well, because he managed to make it in 10th place and, you know, get the at least a double points finish for, uh, for uh, Aston Martin in the end. 
Yeah, great, great drive from both of them in uh, to to get the double points. You know what I had in my head, Shaker? You you had Smash Battle. I had Silverstone 2.0 half thing where <laughs> Lewis is going to finish the race on three tires again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I I tell you though, let's talk about those those tire failures. I think that Hamilton side of the garage and and Verstappen side of the garage were just super happy to get that race over with because. It was dodgy there. I mean, and Red Bull even went for the three stop just to be sure, right? But well, it was really weird because if you listen to Nicholas Latifi's radio, um, he was commenting where he's just like the tires were fine. They just like it just just went like yeah. you know, I, I had no indication, which is really interesting to have that driver's point of view because um, the fact that you know he felt nothing and then all of a sudden the tire is gone. It's kind of interesting. Is you know I wonder how that would play. Uh, with the Pirelli tires, and obviously Pirelli would know a lot more than any of us of what exactly happened in those situations. But uh, I was surprised that Williams didn't call uh, Latifi in after Russell's uh, tire failure. Um, but anyways, it's just very interesting. A, a weird kind of, um, I don't know, a very weird puncture situation for these, you know, all these drivers to have, you know, feel nothing, then all of a sudden lose their front left. Yeah, super dangerous too, right? And and so many as well. It's been a while since we've seen so many different drivers have these punctures. And, you know, it was interesting because Mercedes said that it wasn't actually really from the curbs. So that's an interesting little piece of information. I don't know if that's accurate. Like you said, Pirelli would know and maybe they're going to put out some sort of report. But as we mentioned before, I think it's a pretty big concern going into Saudi Arabia because Lozale is a pretty high-low track, even in race simulations as well, just going around some of those corners. So if that played a factor in terms of the load generated on the tires, I mean, Saudi Arabia is even more than that. It's, you know, almost a six and a half kilometer circuit and it's much faster. Excuse me. Majority of the lap is going to be taken at full throttle. So I think that is a a slight concern, but just getting back to this race, you know, I I didn't understand why they left Valtteri out for so long. And really Mm. that, that really, I think what messed up his race because had he come in a couple of laps earlier, probably could have avoided the puncture and maybe got home. And I think although Red Bull gave up the podium with Perez, it was the smart decision to bring him in. And he almost got third anyway, but just to, as the tires were going, it was smart to bring him in and cover off the fact that they could get a puncture. But just unfortunate for Bottas. I mean, it's always these types of things happening to him, but I, I think they should have brought him in many laps earlier. <laughs> no, no, I would agree. Um, I was very surprised to see a Valtteri um, sorry, I was talking down. Now I don't know yeah, what no happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was very surprised to see Valtteri stay out that long. Um, and, and like you said, the whole Perez situation, um, you know, if Perez would have stayed out and then crashed or, or lost puncture, lost all, you know, the, what was 15 points he got in that race. Um, that's a, that's big for Red Bull in the constructors championship. And, you know, of course they're thinking about that, you know, as much as Perez wanted the podium, we know Red Bull's thinking about the constructors championship. So it was a very smart move by Red Bull uh, to, to bring Perez in. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I think it was Mercedes as well, you know, thinking of the constructors to push Valtteri. Um, Cause we heard that team radio, you know, Valtteri go get him. Um, but it, it's, um, and it was very unfortunate because, you know, we, like we said earlier, if he ha- didn't, uh, Valtteri didn't manage to get fourth or fifth, this constructors would have been going Mercedes way a little bit more. Um, but I, th- I think the bringing in press was probably, you know, with Valtteri going out, they were like, we have to make sure that we, you know, get these points wherever we can. And 
rather than risk Perez going out and them not getting anything, they can at least secure that fifth, uh, fourth place position because they were going to get it anyways. So, yeah, it all ended up making it a little more interesting in the constructors championship. So, uh, we'll keep an eye on the tire situation for Jetta, the street circuit, and, and see what Pirelli can say after uh, after all these failures. So, yeah, it was very, very, very curious sight to see. That was for sure. Um, so the only last thing that I had from uh, from this race before we just talk a little bit about the, the circuit itself was uh, Kimi Raikkonen just had a really funny uh, post-race interview because there were some issues with the Alfa Romeo floors. Apparently, they were kind of running out of floors uh, because of obviously the triple header and the fact that this Lozale circuit was doing a lot of damage to front wings and floors as well. The curbs are pretty aggressive. So there was just this funny post-race interview I just came across today that I, I just wanted to throw in here because Kimi, of course, is coming to the final uh, few races of his career and we're not going to get to see very many more of these golden Kimmy sound bites so I just thought I'd play this one for you guys Kimmy we heard you had issues with the floor did it limitize your racing one I didn't hear anything okay. you know more than me <laughs> I no, heard no, I before the race the limitations on the floor but there wasn't for no, you Notes. no I mean um... <laughs> I think the car was pretty much as it was yesterday and our speed also, I mean, you know, we could pass some people and we were catching in the end, but uh, yeah, obviously we were not uh, fast enough. <laughs> just like, like he was genuine, he wasn't even faking that, he was genuinely confused, like I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, that's unbelievable, I love that from Kimi, I hope he comes back into some commentator. I, you know what? I don't. Him being surprised of that comment is not even the best part. It's a comment in the car. It's like, we were fast and uh, we were passing some people, and uh, you know. It's the same. The speed was the same as yesterday. It was the same. <laughs> yeah. Nothing's changed, basically. Yeah. I'm telling you. Oh, man. We're going to miss that a lot. I'll tell you what. It'd be great for him to do some post-race interviews, like at the like winter circle or whatever. And, <laughs> like, I'm just be like, so your race, how do you like? <laughs> yeah. It probably would, like they would just like turn off his microphone. It would just, but you know, I I don't see him ever coming back as doing any TV work. But you never say never. He's been giving us some pretty long answers this year in the media pen, so you never know. But man, he was he featured on Instagram today, changing his wife's tires. So you never know. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> so right, funny yeah. because I just changed my winter tires here today, and then it pops up as well. I'm like, well, that's, he's got a nice, much nicer garage though. But I think it was a, a Lamborghini or something yeah. that he was doing it. So yeah, Lamborghini SUV. Yeah. Yeah. So good for Kimmy. Yeah. <laughs> no Alfa Romeo SUV, eh? Hmm. The yeah. team's not gonna like that one. <laughs> well, it is his wife's car, so I guess he's that's, got an excuse. But that's true. That's an excuse. Still Italian. Maybe that's yeah. yeah still true. Italian. You're right. Yeah, we're gonna miss him, but uh, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit more about him in in his final two races coming up. So. I think that'll do it um, about for the Qatar Grand Prix. We just got two more things that we're going to cover in this podcast. We're going to just talk about what we thought of the Lozale circuit and the future of F1 in Qatar. And then we've just got two uh, fan questions that were submitted to us. So we touched on it a little bit just in our opening there, Tyler, in the podcast. But your overall thoughts of the Lozale circuit, does it deserve a place on the F1 calendar? And do you see F1? Well, obviously, I know that there's a 10-year contract that is pending approval for Formula One in Qatar, but it's not going to be at the Lozale circuit if the rumors are to be true that they are looking to build some sort of a downtown street circuit in Doha. But what do you think of that? And just in general, uh, your thoughts on the Lozale International Circuit for F1? 
Yeah, I think I really underestimated what it was going to be. Um, I thought since it was a, a, such a tight track, it was going to be more of a boring race. But the drivers um, really showed that you, you could overtake around the track. Um, and I, I think that's uh, very important. I, I really enjoyed the track. I thought it challenged the drivers. It looked like they had a lot of fun uh, racing around the track. And it gave enough drama uh, through the punctures and everything that it kept you on your toes at the end of the race as well. So I thought it was a great track. Um and it deserves a place on the calendar if they're having uh, those ten years, you know, ten year contract. I think it, you know it's a good option uh, for 2023. Of course, there's no race in Qatar next year because the World Cup is there. Um, but in 2023, uh, Qatar will be back on the calendar. So, uh, you know, I'd like to see what they're kind of showing for this Doha track. If it's going to be um, fast flowing or, or, or what it's good, you know, is it going to replace it? Like what's the style of this, of this track? Cause um, you know, I think if it doesn't succeed after maybe year two or three um, in that 10 year deal that they could always go back to Lozale and have a backup plan in Qatar. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of want to see the whole sprint race uh, uh, concept for, uh, for that track, to be honest, just to see how it goes. Um, cause we have, uh, you know, we've had these tire issues just to see how they carried on through those two races with that mini sprint race and the race itself. I think it would make it a little bit more interesting. Um, so, you know, maybe try a variation of it would be pretty good. Yeah. Maybe they could spice it up. You know, it's a little bit more of a, a boring track or a harder track to overtake. So they might just throw in a sprint there just to make drivers go a little bit more aggressive, but yeah, I would say that I would not... If they're going to do a 10-year deal in Qatar, I would almost say to do it at the Lozale circuit. Now, if you had to, let's say, sit down and make a list of some of the new tracks that we've seen in the last previous years, Mugello, Portimao, for example, it wouldn't be at the top of my list in terms of tracks I'd want to see on the calendar. With it being a 23-race calendar, and who knows, even going up to 25, potentially in the future, it definitely has a place on it. But I think that we have to remember this is a motorcycle racing circuit, and it's great for the motorbikes. For Formula One, not so great, but it was still spectacular to see the qualifying laps. You know, just a modern F1 car working around this circuit was really, really cool. And I always judge it by the driver's reaction, too, and the drivers loved it. I mean, Fernando Alonso said he could drive all night long. Uh, Lewis Hamilton was loving it out there. A lot of the drivers, Daniel Ricciardo was saying he was having fun just going around the circuit. So that's really positive, right, for the drivers that they're enjoying it. In terms of the racing, yeah, I was surprised. I agree with you guys that we saw more overtaking than we thought. The problem is, is that all the overtaking happened going really into turn one. We saw Perez on Leclerc, I think, into turn six, but that was really the only one there. So that was slightly disappointing, but it's kind of the issue with, these tracks not necessarily Lozale but Tyler like you were talking about with the street circuit if we look at the Saudi street circuit for example just driving it a lot now in the last couple of days the problem with it is that it doesn't really have much character it doesn't have any really difficult braking zones elevation and camber where you're like really really trying to work and you know the driver really makes a lot of the difference but it doesn't really have those types of good characteristics on the circuit. So I think that's kind of the problem with some of these new street tracks. So that's not necessarily what I'd like to see in the future. Yeah. I mean, they has that banked kind of track, like Zanvoort almost, uh, or not track, but corner, I should say. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it races. And I think that if you're building street circuits in the future, yeah, you have to make them overtakeable. Um, but I think Baku is a great, street circuit and when they when they built that i thought that's a i still think it's a great racetrack and always brings an interesting perspective 
um, to a race. You never know what's going to happen there. And, and who knows, maybe Saudi Arabia will be the same and we'll, we'll wait uh, for our podcast and we'll wait to judge before we see the cars uh, go around the track there. But uh, it's there, there's a lot of street circuits being built at the moment. And, you know, there's nothing like, you know, a good old racing track to, to race around. Yeah, and I, I think it also depends, right? Because with, uh, with street tracks, we also have to take in the part that there's a lot of, you know, varying stuff already on the track, like in terms of debris and people who have driven over it. You know, there's stuff like potholes. Well, not potholes, but like, you know, yeah. hand covers and stuff like that compared to like, you know, just we're an actual track. It's just them racing in full out. So it, it it's... It's more of a, you know, there's a, there's a reason they only have a couple of them throughout the throughout the throughout the season because it's hard to build a track like a street circuit track where you can overtake and make it interesting as well. You know, we Monaco is more of just the old school classic, uh, you know, race track, but the, you know, it's more of a <clears throat> they're gonna have Monaco throughout the years, but you know, with, with changing it up with Baku and trying out something different, you know, if yeah, I I think it's a good thing to try out. Uh, you can't have the same street circuit, you know, every every, uh, every single year. So, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen to Singapore as well. Like, is that is that track going to be? I was just watching a video on YouTube the other day, and it was someone going around. I, I wish I had the channel's name, but I don't have it in front of me. But he was a uh, walking around the abandoned Valencia street circuit, and there's some streets that were built just for the racetrack and still has the fencing up and everything like that. Like they just picked up and left and. You know, there's curbs still down and the paint and sponsorships are still down. It's really interesting. So it's kind of a perspective of what happens after these kind of street circuits die out, uh, what happens after the fact. I mean, I would love to see what's going on in Vietnam. I know they're not pursuing that racetrack anymore, but what did they build and what's kind of been abandoned there? I just wonder. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, great points that both of you guys bring up there. And Vietnam's a great one, too, because I was asking that not too long ago. Like, whatever happened to that track? It was supposed to make its debut, and it was on the video game, but then it just never happened. And now there's not even any discussion on it, really, because, like, here popped up Qatar. I mean, could we not have gone to Vietnam, maybe, at this time? I think slot? they so, stopped building the track. I think, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's done. Yeah, and, and there was another track that was just very... It was an odd circuit, you know? I would have been interested to see what the cars going around would have been like, but just driving in the video game, it was very clunky. So mm-hmm. I don't want to see too many of these new street circuits. Like, Baku, thankfully, worked out really well. Singapore, as well, is a great challenge, I, I think, and is a great circuit that hopefully will come back in the future. But, yeah, like Shaker said, I don't think that we want to see too, too many of these street circuits. Like, let's keep it special like Monaco, but, you know, there's a lot of designated great tracks that we can go to elsewhere in the meantime so yeah just we, let us know yeah, sorry tyler go ahead we need the singapore the singapore sling back for bringing <laughs> singapore grand prix though that sling needs to come back i think it was phenomenal yeah right great drama there yeah always yeah so let us know in the comments what you thought of the lozale circuit and f1's debut in qatar we'd be interested to know what you thought so yeah let us know in the comments um so the final thing from us we're just going to get quickly get to uh, two questions that was posted uh, under our uh, post in the community tab. Just by the way, guys, if you are a regular subscriber or are new to the channel and are watching our videos and listening to our podcast on YouTube, there is a community tab there, which we do uh, post occasionally on the community tab about updates of when we're going to record our podcast, of when we're releasing videos, or just things like this, where if you guys have any questions or comments you'd like us to talk about, then you can 
submit it there. So uh, just make remember to check that out. But uh, one of the first questions here was after this triple header, what or who was your favorite for the driver and constructors championship? And then do you think Alpha Tauri and McLaren can catch up to their respective rivals? So Tyler, I'll start with you. What do you think? Uh, who was your favorite Red Bull or Mercedes? And then uh, can Alpha Tauri and McLaren catch up to their rivals? Um, I think that personally Mercedes are the favorite for the championship at this point with the car they brought over the last two weeks or two races. I guess it is two weeks. Um, I think that whatever development they've done with that rear wing slash suspension slash diffuser at the back end of the car has been a game changer in this championship. And, um, you know, maybe they were just saving it for a rainy day and that rainy day came and look, look at what happened. Um, so they're my favorite and no, I don't think that McLaren can catch up. Um, I think that they've shown pretty poor pace over the last three, four races. Um, I've, I've been very disappointed in, in how the car has developed and maybe it's just because they're saving all the development for 2022. Um, but no, I, I've been very disappointed from whether they were at the start of the season to where they are now. And Alpha Tauri, um, I mean, it, it's close. It, anything can happen. It's, I'd say that it's definitely a possibility and the most likely uh, out of the two that Alpha Tauri comes back against Alpine. Um, we never know what happens with DNFs and everything like that. So I think that one's still up for grabs, um, although the gap is you know, more favorable in form of Alpine due to that third and fifth place finish. Um, yeah, I'm going to side with Tyler with the, with the constructors for, uh, for Mercedes. I think they're the clear favorites. Um, there's just, you know, bar, bar DNFs from either Perez or, you know, whoever, not even, not even a specific driver from the other team. Um, I think it's going to hold them back and I think it's going to be more Red Bull, uh, that, not, that they don't, not that they'll have a DNF, but that just suffers with points. Um, um. I'm going to say Max still has a chance to win the championship, the world driver championship, mm. just to be different. <laughs> <laughs> You're so biased, Shaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sorry, what was the other question? I was just, uh, do you think Alpha Tauri will finish ahead of Alpine and will McLaren finish ahead of Ferrari? Um. Yeah, I, I don't think McLaren will finish ahead of Ferrari. I think Sainz has finally gone in into that momentum of where he knows that car. I um, mean, he knows what he's finally doing with it uh, compared to what, where he was at the beginning and midseason. Um, I, I, I think him and uh, I think him and Charles Leclerc work really well together. So I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how they carry on through, uh, you know, through future seasons. Um I actually don't think AlphaTauri can catch up to Alpine. I just think that Fernando Alonso and Ocon have been on a really good uh, roll rate lately, and I think uh, I, I don't think they've missed out on points in the last maybe two or three races. Um, I might be wrong about that, um, but where we've seen uh, you know Yuki Tsunoda not make qualifying as well as much, or you know have DNFs or not finishing the points um, more often than Ocon and uh, Alonso. So. Yeah, so I would say that from my end, favor for the drivers' championship, I would still go with Max Verstappen because keep in mind that he's still leading the championship. He's got the eight point lead over Lewis Hamilton and. Remember also that going into Saudi Arabia, regardless of how good Mercedes look at the moment, that they've got all the momentum, the fact is is that Max could win the championship in Saudi Arabia, right? 
I mean, he's going to have to outscore Lewis by 18 points, which is going to be very difficult. But like all the things we talked about, tire failures or safety cars or some bad luck, uh, you know, God forbid for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, Max is the world champion in Saudi Arabia. And even if he doesn't and it's tied or he's leading by one point going into Abu Dhabi, if any crazy Senna and Prost style crash happens in Abu Dhabi, he's the <laughs> default world champion anyways because he's got the most race victories, even if it's a tie. <laughs> So you got to say that he's still the favorite because Lewis Hamilton is going to need to win these races in order to cut that points gap down. So I think the favorite is still Verstappen at this point because I think that any driver would be wanting to still be leading the championship right now. But he's going to have a lot of work to do to try and stop Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. So Red Bull are going to have to get creative. And I would say that for the favorites for the constructors, I'd just go with Mercedes. Just because I think that they've been the best team for the last, you know, almost decade or so. And I think that they're not going to lose that anytime soon. And we've seen with this new innovations, like you said, Tyler, the trickery at the rear end and the engine. It seems like just a, a masterstroke at the end of the season to steal the championship. So those are my favorites there. Uh, I would agree. I don't think Alpha Tauri will catch up to Alpine just after this weekend. That's a pretty big points haul for them. And unfortunately, I don't think that Alpha Tower will be able to make that up with two races to go. And unfortunately, Pierre Gasly has just kind of been the one on his own trying to bring all those points, whereas Ocon and Alonso have been a really steady partnership. And then, no, I don't think McLaren will catch Ferrari either, especially they only scored four points in this triple header compared to Ferrari, who scored uh, quite, a, quite a lot more than that. So I think that that pretty much wraps up third place then for Ferrari. So... Yep, so that answers uh, that question. Then the last one here is, uh, he's, we got a commenter here saying, Hi guys, can you explain how the Mercedes are managing two different engines? I know the Brazil engine will be used for the final two Grand Prix, and the Turkey engine was used for Qatar. I'm not exactly sure what uh, you mean by this question, so apologies for the confusions if I'm not understanding it. But in terms of how they're managing it, I know that these teams have the en certain engines in their pools of what they're going to use for free practice, and then they get to choose which engine they put in for qualifying in the race, of course, under park fairmount conditions. They have to carry over all the same specs going into qualifying in the race, so they can't change anything afterwards unless they have some sort of a problem or a failure. But I think that's in terms of maybe hopefully answers your question of that's how they're managing it. They brought the Turkey engine for Hamilton in to use at Qatar because it's not very power dominant, but in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, because it's so power sensitive, they're going to put in that Brazil engine, which is pretty fresh considering that it only did you know, a couple of sessions in Brazil. So um, I don't know, maybe Tyler, if uh, you can kind of pick out anything else uh, into that question, but hopefully we, we try to answer it. Yeah, you know, that's a good answer, Chris. I mean, these teams have, well, it was three, but now for Mercedes with that penalty, they have four engines to do whatever they want with. So they could use the, you know, the, the engine they started the season out with if they wanted to in Bahrain this, into this next race, if it was still workable, um, as long as they, uh, like you said, in qualifying in the race, keep the same engine. Um, they can switch, swap around engines here and there, depending on what they want to do. And to have a fresh power, uh, power uh, unit for, like you said, Brazil, and to use that in Saudi Arabia, it's smart to take the penalty in Brazil to have that fresh power unit uh, for Saudi Arabia. So that's what they'll be using for that, and for less wear on that uh, on that motor. That's why they put in the uh, the Turkish Grand Prix uh, motor for Qatar. So. It's all about managing and, and trying to find the best fit for each engine and where you, you can use and get the most performance out of each engine as well. So it's all all lots of stuff going behind the scenes, but um, I hope that somewhat answered the question. If not, Shaker, do you have anything to add? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
you guys have that covered. <laughs> well, let us know whoever asked the question if you got to this point of the podcast. If we didn't answer it, maybe just uh, provide a little more detail in the comment section for a follow-up, and then we'll try and get back to you if you didn't answer it. But thank you very much anyways for yeah. uh, for the two commenters there for your questions. And of course, before any podcast or after any race, you can submit these questions to us on the community tab of our YouTube channel or reach out to us on Twitter at TBMF1 Show. Our mentions are always open for any commentary otherwise. And I know the comment section is always <laughs> open for commentary. Um, so, yeah, we always have some, have some fun and, and have some good laughs at your expense sometimes for some of the comments. But it's all in good fun. So, uh, yeah, thank you to that. But, gentlemen, I think that'll do it for this episode 123 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. I know it's been a late one for all three of us, but it's definitely good to get a podcast in this week at this important time of the championship and after uh, Qatar debuting F1 as well. It was nice to get a discussion here, and I think we covered a lot of bases here. So I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as you guys. Um, I'll leave the final word to you guys before we sign off, if you got anything. Let's get ready for the shithousery that will be Saudi Arabia. I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, I'm excited for uh, Kimmy's uh, lap around on the last race of the season. So mm. that's what I'm uh, excited for. <laughs> Do you think he even does one, or does he just park it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's gonna park it, man. Like, he's like, he's gonna be forced to do one from like not like not not like the team, but from the drivers, you know, from yeah. like Hamilton or like Sebastian Vettel, the two drivers, and like Alonso, the three drivers that are with them the most. You know, <laughs> do you think Kimmy does donuts with the three of them, like Alonso did on the pit street? That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Or if you like Kimmy, just like crashes his car doing donuts. <laughs> Just full send, just like I'm done. <laughs> I feel like Kimmy's gonna like charge his battery just for the cooldown lap to like go full pace, just so he doesn't have to like slow down and acknowledge <laughs> anything and just go home. <laughs> but... I keep this. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, no, those are two good things to be excited for, and and I, like I said, it's gonna kind of overshadow his retirement because of the championship, obviously. But uh, we're gonna make sure to to talk about Kimmy. Yeah in these final last couple of podcasts. So I think at this point by now, we're probably going to end up doing that Saudi Arabian podcast just because uh, we like to talk about it so much. So keep an eye <laughs> out for that in the next couple of weeks. I know Saudi Arabia is coming up soon, but uh, yeah, hopefully this podcast can kind of hold you over until then. But already next week, we're going to be doing our preview, the A to Z guide. So yeah, it's going to be very, very busy to the end of the 2021 season. But it's been an excellent one so far, and we really appreciate everybody out there following our podcast and listening to us as well, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify, iTunes, or any other podcast app. We really appreciate all the support. Of course, if you're new to us, please subscribe to our channels on social media, on YouTube, and our podcast as well, so you never miss any new content from the Backmarkers F1 show. We really thank everybody for the support. I hope you guys have a great week ahead. And until next time, for Shaker Barty and Tyler McDonald, I've been Chris Cato. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you soon.